Welcome to It's Personal, Not Just Business with your host, Michael Flegelman. In each episode, you'll learn lessons from other successful financial advisors and brokers. You can find this show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on swanwealth.com. Now here's the host of It's Personal, Not Just Business, Michael Flegelman. Hi, and welcome, everybody. My name is Michael Flegelman. Welcome to another version of It's Personal, Not Just Business. We're not like the Godfather, where he said, it's all business. It's not personal. Well, you know, for 40 years, I've been in the financial service business, and I kind of developed the reverse of that philosophy, where everything is about people, and um, and it's all very personal for me. So, we like to try and showcase some advisors and people that we work with. And today we're very fortunate to have Mr. Harlan Akola. Mr. Harlan Akola is a reverse mortgage specialist. And I feel a tremendous kinship to Harlan because he has the challenge that I have. We sell a product that um, is sometimes misunderstood and has a, a general bias against. So it's a challenge. You know, when, when we try and do financial planning and talk to people about insurance, they're often very much have a predisposition that's negative. Similar, not only in insurance, I think it's similar to uh, um, the reverse mortgage world. And, and fortunately, we're in a place where we're going to learn a lot today from Harlan. So welcome, Harlan. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I know we had you on our um, Zoom training about a year ago, and uh, you did a great job in presenting to our advisors, and, and we wanted to welcome you back. So thank you. Well, thanks for the opportunity. We, I sure appreciate uh, Anytime we can tell a story that might change some people's lives, it's fun to be able to do that. Absolutely. So, you know, share with us a little bit about yourself and your background and your journey and how you got to a place where you are a passionate uh, promoter of this um, out of the box. And I would say path less traveled concept of a reverse mortgage. Well, it all started when I was just a kid, you know, back in uh, uh, being a farm kid. I always tell people, if a farm kid from Wisconsin who never went to college can figure this out, pretty much everybody should be able to. <laughs> it's not that complicated. But people, Einstein said, uh, any fool can make a simple thing complicated. It takes a genius to make a complicated thing simple. So I've spent most of my career trying to make something that really comes across complicated as, as simple. And uh, when I was brought up on the farm, I was taught to work hard and, and uh, take care of people and, and do good things for others and, and uh, just, just be a good person. And my mom and dad did a great job of that. I didn't always do as good a job as I could have, should have. But when I had a major change in my career... I used to be in the photography industry, but back in the 90s, I uh, was kind of forced to make a, a career change. And I was always interested in financial advising. So I was kind of thinking I was going to be a financial advisor. And instead, I got into the mortgage business because I realized that a lot of people don't understand how to manage their liabilities. 
they talk about managing their assets, but they don't talk about managing their liabilities. And mortgages are uh, the biggest liability that is out there in, in billions of dollars. And as I was going through it, I hated reverse mortgages and I was teaching people how to get out of debt and get rid of their mortgages. And I thought, why am I selling something that I'm telling people to get rid of? And um, when somebody talked to me about life insurance, cash value life insurance, I told them, well, I, I heard those, that's not a good thing. And he said, well, if what you thought about life insurance was wrong, when would you want me to tell you? And I said, well, I don't think I'm wrong, but I guess right now, um, that's still on my business card. If what you thought about money and mortgages were wrong, when would you want to know? Um, and so that together with understanding something called begin with the end in mind, everybody's heard of the seven habits of highly effective people. One of those is begin with the end in mind. In the 90s, when I made that career change and everything was topsy-turvy and in turmoil from my own financial situation to my career, I realized that most people don't do enough planning, and I certainly had not in my 40s. And so I started really delving in and talking to the experts and people a whole lot smarter than myself to figure out how can I have a better retirement, and then how can I teach other people to have a better retirement? And I realized that part of that equation was in the equity that people build up in their houses. And it's one of the largest asset classes in the history of the world. In the history of any country in the world, we have $13 trillion of assets that are sitting in people's houses over the age of 62. There's never been that much money in any asset class. And people didn't know how to manage it and use it. And so it was a natural scenario in working together with the financial planning community, the insurance um, and the annuity folks, and those that did assets or management to say, how does this all fit together with long-term care and social security and all of these different things? How can we make people's retirement better? And that's how I ended up getting into the reverse mortgage thing when I told people to stay away from them because they weren't hmm. a good thing. You know, it's funny that you, you, you mentioned that. Um... What I have found over the years is those that we can get the light bulb to uh, turn on become the greatest advocates of the product that they were most against because they saw verifiable evidence, you know, as, as one of the um, big problems that we face when we do planning for people is when they hit retirement age, um, which is coming around the corner for someone like me. You know, most people have these two assets, um, and it's the equity in their home, and it's the um, assets in their retirement accounts, their IRA, 401k. And as I say to people all the time, those are great assets to accumulate money with, but they're not the best assets to take distribution from because of the fact that I can't eat my drywall. I think you like that saying, you know, I, if I have a million dollars in equity, I, I can't, um, you know, go spend that. And and we learned the hard lesson in 2008 when, you know, credit crisis happened and the lines of credits got frozen and so on. And, you know, the same with um, the other asset, the 401k IRA, where all the income from that is taxable as ordinary income tax, not even capital gains tax. So being that those are the two biggest assets, how do you help those people, Harlan? 
Well, I, I very simply to, to simplify it, and this was a chapter in my book uh, that I wrote four or five years ago, and, and one that I, I, I just talked to some uh, three people today, and I told all three people the same thing. And it's a, a little three, four minutes where I explain that everybody has three buckets of wealth. Bucket one is your ability to make money, to earn money, to get wages, commissions, whatever. Uh, get Social Security later in life. And bucket two is all your nest egg money, your IRAs, your 401ks, life insurance, annuities, money that you don't need today, but you set aside for the future. And then bucket three is all the money in your house. And you hit on the most important thing, accumulating wealth and decumulating wealth and taking distributions is the key to a great retirement. And most people do not have the that set up correctly. In fact, a lot of financial advisors, unlike you, as you know, um, to talk more about building assets and accumulating rather than what is it like to use them. So we work in conjunction with financial advisors. I was just with a financial advisor this morning with a client that was going to start taking money out of their um, million dollar 401k uh, and draw social security early to meet their requirements. When it really made sense for them to delay their social security and do some Roth conversions and get some money into cash value life insurance for the ability to be able to pass on the wealth that they wanted to to their children. So we look at where should we take money from, bucket one, bucket two, or bucket three, and when should we take it? The majority of people take money from bucket one, more than 50% take it from Social Security at 62 or 63. Then they go to their 401ks and start taking out taxable money, as you already talked about. And then when they go broke and they don't have any money left in their 80s or 90s, sometimes in their 70s, they pull money out of their house as a last ditch, ditch effort as break glass in case of fire. Mm -hmm. The research has been solid. If you take money first out of bucket three, and you have non-taxable money coming out of bucket two when you need it, and you usually delay the Social Security payments at least past 62 or 63, three things happen. Your tax bill goes down, obviously. Your cash flow goes up because you're not sending as much to the government. And thirdly, your net worth actually gets better and you leave more behind. Um, my children are going to be better off because they're going to get tax-free money from a life insurance policy instead of inheriting a 401k that has to be turned into a, a big taxable event, um, or even inheriting a house that who knows what it's going to be worth 20, 30 years down the road. So we work together with the financial advisor. I don't sell, and our company doesn't sell any of those other products. We just work in conjunction with how do we draw money from each of those spots in the most effective and most efficient way so that we can keep the wealth the highest, the what we pass on the most, and how we can most enjoy life while we're alive. And that's something that most people don't spend any time planning. And when they come to us in their 50s, we talk to them about what they should do in their 60s and start working with their financial advisor from day one so that they're prepared. Excellent. Well, wow. so who is right now a good candidate for a reverse mortgage? Who who is the where is the sweet spot for this market? Who's doing reverse mortgages, and what are some of the um, the common misconceptions that you could help our listeners to understand about 
reverse mortgages because for whatever reason, it is in the minds of many a path that they shouldn't go down, that their CPA or their brother-in-law told them, no, that's no good, et cetera. Well, yes. The, 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 uh, I'll answer the first part of the question or the last part of the question first. The misconceptions are is uh, the, the biggest single thing is if I uh, do a reverse mortgage, I lose my house. I've heard that from literally after 20 years of doing this, more than 20 years, thousands of people have told me that. Well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to lose my house. And I said, well, I wouldn't want to do it then either. Um, but it's not about losing your house any more than if you take money out of your IRA or out of your cash value life insurance that you lose your policy. If I take money out of my cash value life insurance policy, I still have my policy. I didn't lose my policy. I just used some of the assets inside of it. If I take money out of my IRA, I didn't lose my IRA. It's still there. I just used some of the money inside. When you take money out of your house and I take 50000 out of my house and it's worth 500000 and I die the next day, there's still four hundred and fifty left in the house, just like if I took 50000 out of an IRA. The idea that you are going to lose your house and potentially be kicked out when you're old and infirm and that the evil bankers are going to take advantage of you is pervasive. Everybody thinks that somehow we want their house. I always joke with people. I say, I don't want your house. I've already got one. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the business of lending. We're not in the business of taking houses away from people. We, we're not interested in your house. In the mortgage industry, when you take somebody's house, that's usually a mistake. Something went wrong. Um, and so the last thing that we want to do is take someone's house. We're in the business of lending money, use part of the money inside of your house, and then uh, along with the interest, that all gets paid back at the end. And it's completely safe because even if you're upside down at the end, like my uncle was when he died in 2009 at the age of 94, you don't even have to pay the difference if you're upside down in the house at the end because it's a federally insured program. So when people say this is a scam, this is something that's a ripoff, something to stay away from, this is more regulated than any other mortgage product out there. Federal Housing mm -hmm. Administration regulates this product. So it is a federally regulated scam, if that's what somebody wants to call it, because we are checked on everything. Every one of our clients gets counseled. Every one of our loans are underwritten. Uh, there is no safer mortgage product out there than a reverse mortgage because of all the checks and balances that are in there. Now, going to the first part of your question, so who is the best, uh, the, the sweet spot? Um, the sweet spot is really anyone who reaches the age of 62. Uh, just like, uh, and people say, well, that's pretty broad, Harlan. That's everybody. This can't be for everybody. No, it's not for everybody, but it's for most people, just like Medicare and IRAs uh, are for most people. Even if you're a multimillionaire, you're probably still going to sign up for Medicare. You're probably still going to sign up for Social Security at somewhere between 62 and 70. So the idea is, is that when you get to be 62, like I did a couple of years ago, what should I do with my house payment? It's $3,000 a month, almost. Should I continue to make that payment or should I put it somewhere else? I started doing the numbers back in my 40s, and I knew that when I got to be 62 and my payment would go from 3000 to zero. I would take all of that 36000 a year and give it to my investment advisor and dramatically increase the cash value in my life insurance policy, which would leave a greater legacy to my children 
and give me more tax-free cash for the future. So I immediately redirected my funds, not because I had to, but because it made more financial sense and it was more efficient to send that money to bucket two instead of sending it to bucket three. Everyone who reaches 62 should look at it and say, does it make sense for me to take money out of my house? Does it make sense for me to pay off my house? Does it make sense for me to buy a different house? Because there is no nothing that affects our expenses in retirement more than housing. Everybody thinks it's healthcare, and it is the last five years of your life. But for the entire 30 years of a typical retirement, housing is the most expensive thing. If that can be properly managed, then we have money for long-term care. We have money for our life insurance. We have money for our other assets because we're not putting all of the money into bucket three. And so that's why most people should take a look from the time they're in their 40s as to what am I going to do when I get to be 62? And how is my housing plan going to fit into that? Because it's usually the biggest expense and certainly one of the biggest assets once you reach 62. Very long answer to your short question. No, it's a great answer. It really got me thinking, you know, so when you reach age 62 and you have a forward mortgage, a traditional mortgage, one thing that a reverse mortgage might be able to do is flip the switch from going from a forward mortgage to a reverse mortgage. Is that what you're you're articulating a moment ago, Harlan? Yes, and you're talking about 40% of the people in the United States. When my dad retired in the early 80s, um, there was only about 5% of the people that were still making mortgage payments when they reached 62. Today, more than 40% of people that reach 62 are still making mortgage payments. So I, I beg all of your listeners, any of the professionals out there, put the numbers in. If you take your mortgage payment to zero uh, and you have the option, it doesn't matter whether or not you can afford it. If you take your mortgage payment from $800 or $2,000 or whatever the number is and you take it to zero, how does that change your retirement? It will improve it. It's dramatic. It's a big deal. It's not like you're saving two or 300 bucks a month. You're saving your entire mortgage payment. It goes to zero. And when that goes to zero and you can still afford to make it, where can that money go to accomplish more than just paying off a 3% loan and turning it into drywall that you can't eat, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as you mentioned earlier? And so uh, that, that first group of people are the sweet spot that we can help the most, the 40% of people that are still making a mortgage payment. And it's not that they can't make it. They can afford it. They're doing fine. They're maybe still working. But it's should they? Just because you can afford to make a mortgage payment, does that mean you should buy it? I was talking to an advisor that works with sports figures who went out and bought a ghost Rolls Royce, whatever that is. And uh, he said, well, uh, do you need it? And he said, well, I can afford it. Well, just because you afford it doesn't mean you should go out and buy a Rolls Royce. Does it really make sense for your overall plans and goals? And just because you can afford, that's an extreme case. Obviously, most of us will never make millions a year like the sports figures. But the idea is, is just because you can afford to make your mortgage payment, should you make it? And that's really the sweet spot of the people that should look first at a reverse mortgage is, why are you making a mortgage payment? What's the purpose of doing that when you don't have to? If you get a letter in the mail and it said, congratulations, you've reached the age of 62, you have lots of equity in your home, you are no longer required to make a mortgage payment, the payment is now optional. 
would you really continue to send it in? Or would you really take a serious look at that and talk to your advisor and say, what else can I do with $1,800 a month or whatever the number is? And so that is the real sweet spot. Now, there's 60% of the people out there, like the client that I talked to this morning, who has their house paid off. And instead of pulling money out of his investments, he's going to pull money out of his house to maintain his lifestyle. And he's going to delay Social Security. So that's the other 60% that should look at that as an income source. But the first group, the 40%, should look at it as, should I continue to make a cash flow payment that I don't have to make? And for some people, it's not even about um, whether or not they can afford to make it. It's they lost a spouse and they're struggling. I talked to a 75-year-old nurse who's still working, uh, who doesn't want to keep working anymore and wants to spend time with her grandkids, but she has to work because why? They have a mortgage payment and her husband Mm -hmm. passed away. So uh, that's really the issue is why are you continuing to keep a mortgage payment in place when you are no longer required to do so? And I guess, you know, you know, from a simplistic viewpoint that I, I have, if I'm going to retire that debt and no longer have to make that payment, even if I don't reallocate that money into some vehicle, whether it's to accumulate or protect wealth, that money that is not going to the mortgage company is now back in my pocket. So in essence, I've increased my retirement cash flow. And, you know, as they say, cash flow is king. You know, we we spend all our lives, and and it's interesting, my dad was a product of uh, the Depression, you know, born in 1920, lived in New York City, and uh, when Depression hit, you know, he waited on the line, you know, to get food and such. And his attitude about mortgages was, you know, pay it off as quickly as you can, because, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the bank rules back then in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, allowed bankers to foreclose on your mortgage at any time. You would have to be um, able to come up with whatever was owed if the banker wanted it. So a lot of those old theories that people still hold on to, you know, they have that mortgage burning party. Well, rather than having a mortgage burning party where you're putting all this money into a asset that you can't really monetize, why don't you just flip the switch and utilize that equity through a non-recourse loan called a reverse mortgage? It's a shame that there's such a negative bias. And I don't know why it is that things that sometimes are really good for us in life have a, a whole bunch of people that say, no, no good, no good. It's like, you know, anytime we go down a path less traveled, there are people saying, no, don't go there, don't go there. And uh, I'm wondering how you address those concerns, because, you know, everybody has a brother-in-law and a CPA, and um, I'm sure you hear it all the time, Harlan, about all the reasons not to. I I do. And I wrote a chapter in my book about that as well, because that is the crux. What you just said about uh, your dad and my dad, the people that went through the Depression, the people that uh, saw mortgage foreclosures and houses taken away, is the reason why there's this feeling today. Because my dad and your dad were right. The quicker you could pay off a mortgage in the 30s and 40s and 50s before Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac came around and FHA, 
that was the smartest thing to do. Everybody watches It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas, and it reminds people of how the evil banker takes away houses. Um, and uh, the fact is, is that I always show people, and I, I didn't uh, bring it to my desk today, but um, an old rotary dial phone. And I say, how many of you are still using this? And of course, they laugh and say, well, nobody uses those anymore. I've got one in the basement or whatever. I don't think it even works anymore. Um, well, the truth is, is that a rotary dial phone still works. You can still plug them in and they still work. Um, but very few people use them because we're in a different world. And and they were obviously along. You can't get on the internet with them. They're not exactly Wi-Fi compatible. And so uh, we don't use those because... Uh, time has passed that by, just like we don't, uh, you know, ride horses anymore and 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 ride in the buggies. Um, and so the issue is, is what I try to explain people is the reverse mortgage changed the program in 1988 in Reagan's during Reagan's term. So if you're talking about the old days, you are right. Your dad was right because one guy said, "Are you saying that my dad uh, was lying to me?" And I said, "No, your dad was 100 percent right with what he knew." But in 1988, everything changed. My dad couldn't get a mortgage in a reverse mortgage in 1981, but he could by the time he hit the 90s that I could get one for him when uh, FHA and Reagan came out with that in 1988. That changed the whole game, just like the internet changed everything. We don't do things the same because of the internet. And so uh, the fact is, is that what I try to tell people is understand the rules that you're in today as compared to what your dad was in, because the decisions that your dad made were right in most cases for his time, but it's not right for this time any more than a rotary dial phone is right for this time. And that's really what, and then we go into, do you want to uh, go into the facts or do you want to make a decision with feelings? Because there's something called cognitive dissonance that a, a very fancy word that a realtor told me one day, I was halfway into my presentation and she said, hold on, hold on, I'm dealing with cognitive dissonance. And I thought, oh my goodness, is she not feeling well or what's going on? <laughs> and so I looked it up and cognitive dissonance is when everything you're saying or that you're hearing disagrees with all of your past beliefs. And there's this big uh, issue that, well, it couldn't be right. And most of those people, instead of trying to learn about it, as you mentioned earlier, they just shove it away and it's the road less traveled and we're not going down that road. Nobody else is going there, so I'm not going to go there. And But then there's others that say, well, tell me a little bit more about this. And they play what uh, one guy said, well, I'm going to play devil's advocate on everything that you say. And I said, that's perfect. Be skeptical. Go through it. And if I can't answer your questions, you should never think about getting a reverse mortgage. And if I can answer your questions... You have to get one. And that's exactly the way that it worked out. Some people just refuse to listen and just put it aside, just like they do with other financial products, like I did with cash value life insurance. And now that's half my net worth um, and a huge benefit to my children and my grandchildren because I understood it and I realized what the deal was with it. And so that's really something that we need to teach people to just be a little bit open-minded and ask questions. And once you ask questions, that reveals whether or not it makes sense and will stand the test of time. Uh, that is a terrific, terrific um, message for everybody. You know, I, I am challenged all the time by getting people to really understand products that are um, misunderstood 
And I think having somebody like yourself, and I know some of the members of your team, help people understand how these programs work in a way that is educational, I think can be so, so valuable. So many people, there's so many forces working against people during retirement. And the analogy that I always share with people is um, the mountain climbing analogy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. But if you look at uh, 100 people climbing Mount Everest, um, certain people are going to die on the way up and certain people are going to die on the way down. Mm -hmm. Most people would think that you would die on the ascent as you're traveling upward and the air is getting thinner and thinner. But the reality is that 70% of the people going on this trek to the top of Mount Everest pass away on the way down. Mm -hmm. And on the way down is the analogy of retirement planning or income planning during retirement. And a lot of people are faced with potentially running out of money because of the fact that they're not utilizing all of their assets. The asset that is large, that is dead to them, is the home. And if there is a strategy that could allow you to delay taking your Social Security, well, now, rather than me taking it 62, I wait until age 70. And from 67, for someone like me, to 70, my Social Security is going to go up by 8% per year. Mm -hmm. But how am I going to live between 62 and 70? Any ideas, Harlan? Where am I going to get the income that I need? Like I told one gentleman, is right behind you on your dining room table. I can see it. And he turned around and he said, I don't see it. And I said, well, I'll put it there. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's hiding in plain sight right in your house. It, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's strange. And, and, you know, that mountain climbing thing, my good friend, Dr. Wade Fow, who is um, a, a CFA and a PhD and is uh, way more educated than I ever, I don't even understand all the education that he's got. And he's written three books in reverse mortgages. And he used that in exact analogy where I learned about it from the first time that most people die on the way down, not on the way up. And when we are given all of these tools and the research that somebody as super sharp as he did, and we ignore that is amazing to me. Even professionals in your industry and in mine ignore the research that has been solidly proved that you use bucket three money in your house first for the longest retirement. And it's uh, amazing to me that more people aren't aware of that because like one person, uh, one um, uh, client told me, he said, you know, I made some mistakes in retirement. Here I am in a rough shape uh, that I can't recover from. He said, there's no do-overs in retirement, is there? We can't hit the reset button. And I said, mm -hmm. no, we only get one shot at it. And that was a sad thing at his kitchen table that day because it would have been very easy to fix it 20 years ago and there weren't any fixes now after his wife passed and uh, used up a lot of the money in the long-term care. And so, um, but the good thing is, is you and I have the opportunity to spread this news. I'm so thankful for your podcast and for what you're doing, spreading the news that, hey, there are some tools that we can use that will change and guarantee a better retirement. And that's pretty exciting that we can be instrumental in changing people's lives. Yeah, there's so much that, you know, we could unravel here. I, I was 
uh, looking at my my clock here, and I, it's unfortunate we can't go into more detail because you know one of the the nice features, and you did mention this earlier, is this is a non-recourse loan, meaning that you know even if the debt that is accumulated and as people are living longer and longer, you know if we if we never pay off our reverse mortgage, which we have the right to do, we could pay into it. We don't have to just take money out of it. But if we if we um, live a long time and that loan gets to be uh, an amount that is worth more than the house is worth, well, it's forgiven. So a lot of times people, I remember from years back, they said, well, the, the closing costs are very high on a reverse mortgage. Well, yeah, that's because it's a forgivable loan in the sense of anything above the value of the house. So if the loan is a million dollars and the house is only worth 500, you're not responsible. The heirs are not responsible. So it unlocks, I always like to talk about it in the context of it unlocks an asset that was dead to me. Now I could take that million dollars and you know pull out income. And I know there, there are various options on taking income. I could take a stream of income. I could have a line of credit. What I'd like for you to do, Harlan, because we are running a little bit long and you have so much to offer, is to share a little bit about if somebody wanted to learn more about reverse mortgages, how they would contact you, and share a little bit about that concept of um, the forgiveness of the loan. And uh, and then we'll be pretty much uh, concluded. Yes. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, there, there is nothing safer. Uh, not only is that difference forgiven, and I've seen that happen in 2009 uh, with um, my own uncle and other clients that I had worked with when the crash happened and houses plummeted 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 percent in some areas. Um, and all of that was forgiven with no tax consequences. But if they had life insurance, if there was a death benefit in the annuities, if they were in the right type of investments, all of that passed on to the children and the kids never had to worry about that upside down. And some of the kids bought the houses for uh, 95% of the appraised value. At one time in Las Vegas, a house was uh, a condo went down to 50,000. The kids took it for 50,000, even though the client owed over a hundred thousand on, on the property and they were, they used it for a rental and now it's worth well over $350,000. So, this can also be good for the heirs. Some people say it might be good for the old people, but it really hurts the kids. No, it's good for the kids too. My, my four sons are very happy that we have a reverse mortgage. And so when we know that all those stop gaps are in place and all those uh, safety nets are there, it's really quite frankly foolish not to reach out our hand to grab something that is going to make our retirement better because of the safety that's there. Um, and uh, uh, you know, I'd love to visit with anyone uh, and, and just to be of help to some of your, your folks. I, I'm in the business of helping people and doing reverse mortgages, not selling books. And if any of your listeners would like a copy of my book, um, I'll, I'll send it to them. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of written from a fun perspective. It's the Cinderella of the baby boomer retirement patterned after the fairy tale uh, uh, chapters, like what about the stepsisters and the state of the kingdom and all those kind of things. And awesome. uh, uh, so I'd be happy to send that out to your folks. And, and my email is, is uh, the best way to reach me, Harlan, H-A-R-L-A-N dot Acola, A-C-C-O-L-A at uh, movement. 
movementmortgage.com. I work with Movement Mortgage. We That's a great story in itself. We give a lot of profits away and help nonprofits and build schools and stuff. Um, but that's, that's for another uh, story, another time that we can talk again. But uh, just reach out to me via the email and I'll be happy to answer any of your questions and, and come with all of your um, devil's advocate questions and your skepticism. Um, and that's what's fun. Uh, don't hold anything back because as you said, uh, Michael, we're very used to being misunderstood. And uh, so it's, it's fun to go through that. Uh, and so I look forward to visiting with any of the um, uh, folks that are your listeners. And, and you know, this is probably a whole nother podcast, but I want people to think about real estate in general. Um, and this is not the position of movement mortgage. This is my own little idea. But right now there's 700,000 houses for sale in the United States and millions of people want those houses. When all of us baby boomers die, 70 million of us within the next 30 years, will there still be a shortage of houses? I don't think mm. so. And so why do we want to put all of our money into a very uncertain asset that is probably more likely to go down 30 years from now rather than up? Now, I'm not saying there's a housing crash in the next five or 10 years. I don't think there will be because there's too many people that want houses and many of us baby boomers want two houses. Um, but think 10, 20, 30 years down the road, kind of some food for thought, maybe for another discussion. And that's why that non-recourse thing is so incredibly important. And I'm glad that you brought that up to end our call with today. Well, Arlen, it really is uh, a pleasure to talk with you. You're so knowledgeable in not just your area, but in the more global view of someone's financial situation when it comes to managing their equity in their real estate. You know, we manage our homes, we manage our car, our, our assets, our investments, we, we manage a, a lot of stuff, but we don't usually manage our mortgages. We're, we just pay them. And I think that the ability to get people to first become aware that this is an unused, untapped asset. And then through uh, our affiliation, if any of our listeners are interested in running through a case study, you can contact me or Harlan directly and get into the facts of the case. Um, it could be very interesting, even if you're just showing somebody how to retire their forward mortgage, that to me is going to help them tremendously with their cash flow during retirement. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your wisdom and knowledge and your generous offer to share your book. Um, I hope that we will have the opportunity to visit again in the near future and bring uh, some people out of the old perspective and stereotypes about this product that could be a real game changer for people. Harlan, anything else before we conclude? Well, you know, the big thing is, is that you are in the business of changing lives in the financial planning world. And and we're doing the same thing, uh, even in generational wealth. Uh, and uh, there is no greater privilege than uh, to uh, help someone that doesn't even realize they can save hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes or be able to quit working early or uh, have a better retirement when someone uh, passes uh, thank you for the opportunity because I know from your message that we're going to be able to change some lives 
And I just appreciate uh, your platform to be able to get the news out. Uh, you're a gentleman. And um, my first call when it comes to reverse mortgage, Mr. Harlan Akola from Movement Mortgage. Thank you so much for being our guest on It's Personal, Not Just Business. Have a great day, everybody. You've been tuning into It's Personal, Not Just Business with your host, Michael Flegelman. Each episode features role models and lessons from other successful financial advisors and brokers. Thank you for your positive feedback, comments, questions, and for sharing this show with others.